on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware, consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Next up, we have Panda, it, they, she, and we're going to be talking today about how to get more involved in events and also why you might want to do that. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm okay. I'm caffeinating. I I ordered these tumbler cups because my other ones were sort of damaged. Um, oh. And they said they were really dishwasher safe. And they came in and they are enormous. Like it's as tall as my torso. And so I have this giant coffee that I'm working my way yes. through. And yes, I'm going to be so caffeinated. <laughs> oh dear. I'm scared. I'm glad we're not with you today. <laughs> I am, I am scarier when, as you well know, when I am not caffeinated. So That's true. This, this is a good space to be in. <laughs> <laughs> so we both do a lot of event participation as presenters teaching classes, but really there are so many different ways to get involved that don't involve teaching. And yes, some of them are, you know, a lot of work, but volunteering or participating and, you know, kind of getting in there and being hands-on really comes with a lot of benefits and perks. And so before we really kind of dig into what the options are or what we like to do, I just want to come out of the gate with sort of why would anybody want to volunteer in an event? What um, what are the benefits? Uh, yeah, for me, they've mostly been social in nature. And I think they are for a lot of us. If you are a new person or you don't know a lot of people and really want to get your foot in the door or be in like a space where you're going to meet people that volunteering is pretty much the best thing you can do. It is a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. Working and doing any job for a kink convention is work, but they do try to compensate you as much as they can within their means A lot of conventions have a tier system, like a benefits tier system for how much time you give into it. So it could be discounted admission. It could be free admission, like staying for almost no money in volunteer suites in the hotel with other volunteers. It could be like merch or swag from the organization or the event. A lot of them have volunteer raffles where they'll like raffle off toys that a lot of vendors donate to the volunteers as a thank you for giving their time. And most importantly, there's a community aspect to all of this. It's called kink community for a reason. It cannot exist without the help from the collective group of people. Uh, And like, as it is, events already struggle to get enough volunteers or to find enough help. And honestly, if more people were willing to volunteer in general, then it would be less work and less workload on everyone. 
because the jobs being split up could be smaller and everybody could have a little more time to do whatever it is that they would like to do at events. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that, you know, people ask all the time, how do I get into the community? How do I meet people? Like I've done all this reading, I've taken some classes and I still don't really feel like I have any kink in my life. And, you know, how can I meet other people? How can I just be sort of part of this giant thing that is this, you know, lifestyle community? And, you know, a lot of the common advice is go to an event or go to a munch or, you know, that sort of thing. But, it's just not the same experience. You know, I've done it both ways, being sort of as a part of the convention staff and as just attending an event. And there's no comparison, you know, because when you have a shared project, it's forcing you to communicate with other people, but it's also, you know, giving you something in common that you're sharing. And so then you actually start to meet other people. You're not like in this giant event space where you're like, okay, there are hundreds of people milling about. Am I just going to like walk up to a stranger and start a conversation? If you are actively engaged, you know, in a project and you are working with other people, you're going to have a really natural, easy, comfortable way to get to know people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I definitely prefer the, the inside track this point. Same. Yeah. I mean, why don't you say a little bit about how you have been involved in events? You know, I've mostly done presenting, but you have really done a lot of the other types of jobs. So just kind of give a little bit about your background with events. Yeah, I started volunteering, just general volunteering when I was like 20 or 21. Uh, I did some introducing, I did some door dragoning, found out that I hated that, so didn't do much of it. Uh, then pretty quickly, I moved over to educational programming within the first few years. Uh, I was mostly just working for one convention and then started branching out as I found more time in my life to do so. Uh, so I've done social event coordinating. I've been a presenter liaison. I've run my own track of classes uh, I've done vendor coordinating, also didn't love that very much. Eventually, would probably like to be on some kind of concom in like some bigger capacity when I have spoons to do so. And I believe actually for Kink Between the Lines coming up in the fall this year, I'm doing something like with like pre presenter liaisoning or educational programming. You certainly have participated in a lot of different ways. I mostly, you know, for hands-on participation have done teaching or presenting and it's just something that I enjoy doing. So that was sort of the natural way for me to get involved. But my history with events really started sort of as an attendee and kink was a part of my private life for a very long time. And it took a while for me to kind of get past the fear of like potential outing and my vanilla profession, that sort of thing, um, to really kind of get up the guts to attend a big event where my face was going to be visible, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I started easing into that in my late 20s. But I really found that attending events, I didn't really feel like I was having the full experience when I wasn't involved, when I was just attending classes. And I mean, it would be fun. I would go and I would probably go with a partner and 
check out a bunch of classes and then, you know, we would, you know, learn some new kinky ideas and maybe we would like hit our, our local dungeon or play space afterwards or go back to the hotel room and play and that kind of a thing. But I just didn't really feel like I was having the full experience and I'm always a hands-on person. I, I don't like to watch or be on the sidelines I like to do. And so, you know, it was only a matter of time before I decided, you know what, I have a lot of kink experience that is worth sharing that I feel like I could teach on and, you know, have started to transition to teaching classes at different events, which I've really been enjoying. Okay. Yay. So, I mean, you listed a a really long list of different roles that you've held. And so today we're kind of focusing on what are some of the different options? Like maybe teaching a class is not something that you're interested in or feels accessible to you, but what else can you do to get involved? And do you want to start with like programming and social coordinating stuff? Yeah. So for any kind of like weekend, like or an intensive kink convention that has a focus on education, which not all of them do. So that is something to keep in mind. Some of them are more for social or play reasons and don't really have a focus on education. But a lot of the conferences or conventions are educational focused. And in that case, they are either going to have a programming lead where it's like a person who is on the convention committee who just has that whole section and does it by themselves or there could be an entire programming team depending on the size of the event and under the blanket of programming team there's usually like somebody who uh, makes most of the schedule there's going to be a volunteer coordinator wrangling people for those classes there could be an accessibility lead who is in charge of making sure all the classrooms for the weekend are accessible and meeting the needs of anyone who may have uh, further accommodation. Oh, there's usually a social events, like an evening events kind of coordinator who is tangential to the staff and works with programming staff but may have their own team within them to run those evening events because they're more social or play-based than educational most of the time. And usually, if there is a team, they will have one person who they report to, and that one person will deal with CONCOM or like report to CONCOM with what their needs are or talk to the other departments about what they will need. Okay. So, I mean, that's a really kind of big umbrella um, Mm -hmm. for things that people can get involved with. But I think at the base of things, what you're saying is that programming and social coordinating are just really responsible for what things are happening at the event and who is going to be doing those things. Yes. And making sure that presenters' needs are being met, that everything is going smoothly at the event, and making sure everyone is safe. And then, you know, under that, there are a lot of different sub roles um, and other things that people can do to get involved. So, I mean, that is really going to be the scaffolding, the base of what is this event, but lots of other things are important. For example, consent team. So when you are at an event where kink is taking place or play is taking place, or just 
humans are interacting with other humans, unfortunately, the sad fact is that consent violations can happen. People can feel uncomfortable. So having a designated team that deals with those issues as they arise is super important. And I have not volunteered on a consent team, but I have benefited from their services personally. And sometimes it's just a matter of like, hey, I witnessed this thing happening that was against the rules or this thing happened and I didn't really feel like my boundaries were being respected and I just felt like I should report it to someone. And then, you know, the team takes over sort of investigating and managing whatever it is that's happened. And so, for example, I'm going to tell a story that involves Panda. And um, (laughs) yeah, you were teaching a class and um, I was there to support you and to check out your class and presenting later in the weekend. So I was there during your class and somebody really inappropriately basically interrupted a demo that you were doing and basically like called you out and said, like, I don't understand how you could have agency or how you could have consented to this or why anybody would want to do that. And they basically like, were totally, <gasps> oh, I remember this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to forget. And I think that collectively, like the entire room, like, like you could feel everybody like take a deep breath. Like, I cannot believe this is actually happening because one, I mean, you, you don't interrupt a scene or a class in progress, like wait for a time when there's an opportunity to ask questions and ask your questions if that's welcome or have a conversation with somebody when it's appropriate, but you do not insert yourself into a scene that's happening. You do not insert yourself into a demonstration or, you know, interrupt a presenter, you know, it's just, it's really inappropriate. And I personally felt really uncomfortable observing the whole thing because, you know, you stood up and you, you handled it really beautifully and like you, Oh, thanks. Oh yeah. It was really good. And you gave a really good answer about like, you know, bottom agency and, and the consent process and basically shut him up. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, Everybody else, I think, though, in the room was also feeling uncomfortable because nobody wanted to make it worse. Like, you seemed to have it in hand. Nobody wanted to undermine you. Nobody wanted to, like, further derail your presentation. And so, you know, then later that person started to sort of, I don't know, would harassing be a good word? You in a forum? Yeah. And you were able to kind of communicate like, okay, like I took care of it during the class, but I'm happy for other people to jump in and and help support me and deal with this. But anyway, so that was the thing that happened. And I know that I personally reached out to the consent team and said, hey, you know, we're at this event. I just witnessed this really kind of shocking and inappropriate thing happen. It made me feel uncomfortable. It made somebody that I care about feel uncomfortable. And Nobody wants to, you know, start a conflict with someone else in an event, but, you know, I really think someone from the consent team should like take a look at this and maybe have a word with this person. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. um, I know I'm not, I know for a fact, I'm not the only one who reported this, but, you know, it was really nice to have the ability to say, Hey, 
this is a designated person who deals with these issues. They can approach this problematic person who's being totally inappropriate at our shared event and um, have a conversation with them about, you know, like what are the appropriate rules of engagement so that I don't feel like I have to, you know, challenge them directly. Right. And that's really, it's a super important role to take on. It can feel scary sometimes to think about being on consent team that, it feels almost like a bigger deal than it is. What I will say is that a lot of the time, no one, you don't have to do that much work. Like you're really just there to be present and be a safe space so that people know they have someone to come to. But more often than not, you don't have to do that much work at any given convention. It's maybe intervening in a few situations where people ask you to, or giving clarity to a situation when someone comes to you and says, I don't know how to feel about this. And is this okay? Uh, so it's really just more of like that safety, that presence, and stepping up when you are required to. Right. Sometimes it involves like monitoring some kind of helpline, like whether it's a chat or a designated phone number that people at the event can call from a private space Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of, you know, monitoring for anything that might come in, that sort of thing. So anyway, consent team, super important. It keeps everybody safe. And so, you know, that's a great way to volunteer. But I want to kind of move on. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you mentioned convention committee or CONCOM, what that is? Yeah, so CONCOM is kind of the big guns of the event. They're the ones who are planning it for the majority of the year and are the people overseeing everything to make it all happen. So most of those people, if it's a bigger event, We'll have teams or people who report back to them, but they themselves are not the ones doing all of the work. But those people have to be ready to step in in case somebody bails, someone backs out, something goes wrong. Those are the doms and executive (laughs) planners of the convention. And like really be there to like do the work if they have to. But yeah, there's usually like a con chair who's like the principal of the con, I guess, or like the master of the con who's like that figurehead Mm -hmm. uh, who really sometimes. Yeah. Who really comes in like as the final say in things there, depending on the organization or convention, the ringleader there. Yeah. There are definitely like, certain roles on concom that may or may not be there depending like operations is usually a big role where that's the person handling like the logistics of the hotel or the event space i just want to be the aerial artist and like (laughs) (laughs) Um, i don't want to do (laughs) there's usually also an it person involved whether it's in person or online if it's online that role is huge if it's in person it's still really freaking important because a lot of conventions have scheduling apps or like ways to access the schedule online in some interactive way and they're also usually making sure that people have what they need and that everyone is being safe and like not using their phones in inappropriate ways like recording wise they may help out with like making sure that people have their phone screens covered or their phone cameras covered, stuff like that. 
There's usually also a security department that may or may not be like outsourced. Um, a lot of us outsource that kind of thing, like pay or somehow compensate a few people for the weekend to be the security for the event. Um, in case like something goes wrong, someone needs to be removed. Um, like someone needs to be checked on, what have you. I feel like that's like one of the most important things where if you can afford to have a professional do it who has training and that kind of a thing, like that can be such a safety thing that um, yeah. if you had to like have one job and this whole thing be like an outside hired professional something, like security is a really good place to use those resources. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be that many people because hopefully they're not going to be that super needed but like just having them walk around with like armbands or special lanyards and be a presence and let people know that someone is going to be there if someone decides to fuck around and find out right shifting gears you know especially with the more education based events um and and also with play events but you have volunteers who are monitors of some kind, both dungeon monitors, DMs, and class moderators or monitors. And those duties can vary for, you know, a class moderator monitor to like admitting people to the class, to reading like the content warnings for the class or introducing the presenters or introducing, hey, this is what the class is. Sometimes there needs to be like a volunteer at the door, checking wristbands, that sort of thing. So lots of little things can fall under um, the class moderator or monitor description. And all of those are super important. And also, you know, sometimes keeping an eye like on the chat or keeping an eye on hands up for questions. There are lots of different ways that they can help out and sort of support the presenters. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then dungeon monitors, obviously, you know, that is in a space where, you know, physical space where there's, or actually a virtual space, you know, um, there is play going on. And really their responsibility is to kind of keep an eye out, to be on the side of things, keeping an eye to make sure that people are following the rules of the space in general, like that people are respecting safe words, that people are cleaning their equipment, that people are not being an asshole or like doing things that are dangerous to other people in the space. Like there are spaces where you can't use a long whip or something because somebody could catch it. It's too tight. So they're often kind of keeping an eye on, you know, what is allowed and not allowed within the space and helping to manage that. And also just kind of being an extra set of eyes on the perimeter um, for things that may go inadvertently wrong Mm -hmm. or sort of being problematic in the space. And it's so funny that some people don't realize that this still happens because like some experienced players or people that I know will sometimes respond with like, wow, people still do that. When I mention like somebody whipping out their privates in a dungeon or <laughs> like walking between the top and the bottom when they're doing a flogging scene and like, sta- like walking directly through the line of fire or like, standing or sitting really close to the scene and like being too closely watched or observed especially in certain cases one don't be an asshole and yeah are being an asshole the dungeon monitor is probably the person who is gonna be like fuck right off and get right (laughs) and so like just know that that's like 
those roles are needed, that this stuff still happens on a regular basis. And if you ever see something you're uncomfortable with, your role is not to interrupt that scene or step in. Your role is to go to the DM and say, hey, I don't know if this is okay. Right. There's a designated person whose whole job it is to step in and intervene. I mean, they can call red on any scene in most places. You know, they can bring something that's unsafe that's happening to a stop. And having that designated person, it just keeps the whole space safer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes at events, it's not just about the player, the classes, but sometimes um, folks are selling things. And so there are both vendors and vendor coordinators at events. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So vendors may or may not come for the entire weekend, may or may not vend for the entire weekend, really depending on the con and what's going on. Sometimes vendors get in for free. Sometimes they have to pay separate admission f- to attend the convention itself. And Uh, There are so many determining factors for that. The vendor coordinator is usually the one who books said vendors and uh, sets all of that up, who interacts with them and plans with them in advance to let them know what their space is going to look like, what kind of resources they will have available to them and what they're going to need to bring on their own. And does a little bit of vetting too, right? About whether or not what they're selling is like appropriate for the event or like. Definitely. In choosing vendors, you really think about, is this good for this kind of convention? Do we think there's a market for what they're doing for this kind of convention? Like if it was a hypnosis convention, I probably wouldn't choose like a medical play vendor as my first choice because I don't see a ton of overlap in those two communities. Like, will there be some? Absolutely. But do I think a vendor that sells like more general kink or BDSM toys or gear might do better? Yes. So if there's like three or four spots for vendors and that's all, or fancy pocket watches. <laughs> right. And like, or if like somebody just sold like fixation objects, like crystals, watches, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Cause some vendors do, they would do so much better than a more like niche kink vendor who isn't related to hypnosis would do. So it's really just like thinking about how it's going to fit in and how everybody is going to walk away the most profitable as possible. And also quality, I think, you know, like, is this uh, a vendor who is known in the community who sells their products at a wide variety of events and people are familiar with their products and they're generally high quality and safe products? Or is this somebody that you've never heard of making stuff in their basement that could be dangerous? You know, like, I feel like there's also some sort of like vetting involved um, in regards to quality. Uh, There are also some conventions where presenters are vendors or like there's just some overlap there where they want to be able to promote their own stuff in their classes. And so there's some amount of coordinating with education that has to go on there. And then for the event itself, you are the one in charge of really like setting up that space, being the liaison between the event and the vendors and making sure that everyone has what they need and is having a good time. Yeah. And I mean, if you are the person who makes the stuff that's for sale, 
I think that, you know, being a vendor at an event, although not, I don't know if I would technically class that as like a volunteer or something, but it is definitely a way to end up meeting people and having conversations because as they come to check out your stuff, you're kind of talking to new people, that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. it can also be a way to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. And then kind of shifting, you know, to what I usually do at conventions, my preferred way to participate um, presenting, I won't spend a ton of time on it, but I definitely think that high quality kink education is really important. I mean, we harp on this all the time on the show. We talk about it all the time. (laughs) So, you know, I won't dig too deeply into that, but having accessible and high quality kink education is so important just to one, you know, get it out there, normalize it, help people who have those shared kinks feel validated. And then, you know, also for people to learn how to do certain skills safely without classes, without educational opportunities, that is not possible for a lot of people. So it's just so important. And I think that, you know, being someone who is comfortable giving presentations and being in front of a crowd, that sort of thing, it's just been a really natural way for me to get involved. So I have definitely enjoyed doing that. And, you know, kind of moving on to the next thing, one of the most important parts of presenting a class is doing demonstrations. And often that is not possible without a really awesome demo bottom. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, And it's funny because I forgot to mention this in the beginning when I was talking about the things I've done. But demo bottoming was actually something that I did really early on as well for my friends. It's actually probably the most fun form of volunteering. Uh, I will say that there are a lot more people who volunteer to demo bottom than there is a need for demo bottoms. Uh, So that's something to keep in mind as well. But essentially a demo bottom is a person who is bottoming for a demonstration for a kink education class. I will say that remembering the difference between a demo and a scene is important here. So it's not like you're just signing up to like play with this person and like that's all it is and it's going to be great. A lot of the times you have to be ready to talk about your experience and maybe depending on the presentation, like partially co-present with them or like you just need to talk to the presenter about what expectations there are going to be like it could be a two-minute demo and that's all it's going to be and then your job is over so you have to be prepared for that to like not set your expectations super high or it could be literally the opposite where I was demoing for my friend for a tickling class and I was tied to a massage table for the entire class and he would be teaching and then just like randomly tickle me or like just mess with me and like go back and forth. And it was a really entertaining way to do the demos. Uh, But like you really got to be prepared for kind of whatever And depending on the presenter and your relationship, you may be altered, but then not be provided aftercare. So that's something to keep in mind when you're negotiating with that presenter. Like I've demo bottomed for Midori a few times for her humiliation classes. And she was very clear about bringing my own aftercare that like I had to bring a person with me who was going to be able to keep an eye on me 
and take care of my needs because I was going to get hella altered and she was not going to be able to give me the attention that I might need. Turned out not to be a big deal. We hung out a little bit after the class anyway, would debrief, would snuggle a little bit and then go on a merry ways and it was fine. But I was messed up for hours after that. So having somebody keep an eye on me was really important. And, you know, as a presenter who often needs to have a demo bottom in my classes, you know, there are definitely things that I'm looking for. And I personally, I have not ventured into the world of like pulling someone from the audience for a demo and other people do that and it's fine. And, you know, then the negotiation has to happen on the spot, but I also teach on a lot of subjects that are a little darker and a little edgier. And so I usually feel more comfortable having somebody that I know really well because I feel more comfortable having a demo bottom who I absolutely know just like, well, it's a demo and and not just a scene. One of the same qualities that I look for in a, a play partner is like agency to say, like, I know that I trust that that person's going to use their safe word or that's going to communicate with me if something's going wrong. I don't want to work with somebody who is worried that once they get up in front of people, if something is uncomfortable or too much, like now people are watching them. So they don't want to speak up and say something that's terrifying to me as a presenter and as a top. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you have people watching, I think that, you know, there's always a performance element. And so one of my worries is always that I might have a demo bottom who like in their private scenes might have a lot of agency, but who might be like, wow, there are a lot of people watching and I don't want to ruin the class. So maybe I shouldn't speak up. Mm. I mean, it can be like super fun to do demos in classes. And if you're doing it with somebody that you play with sometimes and that you know, well, like, you know, some of the the demos that you and I have done together or just like watching you and hypno story. Um, that's probably even better example, watching the two of you do demos. Like it's very clear that you have a relationship that you're in dynamic and that it's hot <laughs> for you guys sometimes. And that's okay. But also to understand that sometimes when you're watching a presentation, you might be watching a demo bottom who is like the actual partner or play partner of the person who's presenting. And so there might be some intimacy that you're witnessing there. That's like a product of their actual life relationship. And that if you're just volunteering to be a demo bottom, you really shouldn't be expecting that. Yes. Very professional. Like I enjoy doing hypno scenes with you, Panda. And so is it fun and sexy when we do a demo together? Do I enjoy it? Totally. Yes. But if I was just like putting out feelers and saying, hey, I need a volunteer to do this class, would there be any of that? Like, absolutely not. So just keep in mind, you know, I think that sometimes people are motivated to volunteer, like you said, for that kind of thing, because they want to do a scene or because they think that the thing is sexy. But mm -hmm. like, please don't have expectations that the presenter is doing anything more than showing how something is done. Right. Can I tell a quick story about this? I know we've spent a lot of time on this, but I think it's important. Yeah, it's a really big one. So back in the day, um, when I was living in Boston, there was a group, like a queer group who was holding classes. So uh, there's this amazing porn star named Rain DeGray, who was coming to teach a class and needed demo bottoms for a strap-on class. And one of the coordinators of the organization reached out to me and said, 
hey, like you're one of the first person, first people I thought of. Would you like to demo bottom for this class? And I was over the moon because I'm in love with Rain, love her work. <laughs> was like really, really, really wanted to do it. And then asked like what would be involved in the class. And it was going to be basically like a very brief demonstration of like vaginal penetration and then more focus on like oral and anal penetration and anal is not something that I had ever done like especially with a strap on so I as upset and disappointed as I was declined the offer because I knew that optimally they wanted one person for the whole class to do all the demos and that like I knew that like the vaginal penetration one was going to be a really brief thing and that I knew there were probably other people out there who were better equipped to do those demos. And honestly, looking back, I'm really glad that I understood my own limits and boundaries and experience levels. So that's just something to keep in mind. Like know yourself, know your limits, don't volunteer to do something in class for the first time in front of a group of people, unless you're really, really, really confident that it's going to be something that you're okay with. Like if somebody wanted to use me for a hypno class to do a specific thing that I hadn't done before, but it was someone I'd worked with before, then yeah, I would totally do it as long as I warned them like, hey, if this doesn't work, I'm going to let you know this doesn't work and we're going to have a conversation about it in class. Just like hypno story and I do sometimes when something doesn't work for us. Uh, so don't say yes to something just because you want to do it. And please never lie to the presenter about your level of experience or comfort. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would rather have somebody say, hey, like I am interested in participating as the demo bottom, but I'm going to be honest, I don't have a ton of experience with this thing. And I mean, I might even say to that person, like, you know, let's have a full conversation about it. Maybe there's like a lesson involved or like a little test or whatever to see like how that goes. And then, you know, say, you know what, I really think this is a good fit or it's not. Um, but you want to find that out in advance. You definitely do not want to be finding that out in front of like 60 people who are watching you and expecting this right. demo. So, you know, don't say that you're experienced in something that you're not or, you know, or feel like you should be I, I modify things all the time. So like I have classes that I teach where um, even just to practice them, you know, like I knew I was going to be doing this class recently with Panda as the demo bottom and, and hypno story. But when I practiced my class, I asked my partner Mac to stand in. And while we were practicing the hypnosis scenes, things that were like kinesthetic sensations, that kind of thing, I basically did the gist of what the demo was going to be, but I modified all of the sensations for things that were within his limits. And when I work with Panda, those things look very different. So, you know, it's not that if you have limits, the person can't teach the class. It's just that you have to, just like a scene, you have to have a negotiation about what's included and what's not. And be prepared that the presenter might say, you know what, I really feel like I need to find someone for this class that is, you know, comfortable with this thing. And it's fine if that's not mm -hmm. you. But like, this is a thing that I, I really feel like is essential and I need to demonstrate. Or they might say, you know what, I can show the exact same thing and I can modify it in this way that's within your boundaries. And so I think it will work out. But 
it's definitely not just like getting on scene with somebody that you think is fun or cute or cool and doing a scene. And that's that it's, there's a lot that goes into it. Right. And the last thing I'll say this before we move on, if you want to have a scene or interact with the presenter and that's why you're doing it, then just don't because at least for me, if someone is demo bottling for me for a class, I'm actually less likely to have a continuous play relationship with them afterward than I would be if it was like someone who I didn't interact with as a presenter that weekend who later approached me and was like, Hey, I enjoyed you. Can we talk about playing? Because once we have that like presenter demo bottom dynamic, I understand there's like a imbalance of power there. And I'm very careful around that. Yeah. Like I will definitely do that in one direction and not the other. Like if I have an established relationship with somebody and there's a kind of play that we do in our private lives that I want to teach on, I will be comfortable having them because that dynamic or that friendship or whatever it is, is already established. You know, I'm comfortable having them participate in my class, but if I had a stranger come into my class or someone who is new to me or whatever, um, and not a partner as like a business arrangement as a demo bottom, I definitely wouldn't be pursuing something after that or on the basis of that, especially because I would worry that, you know, maybe like their interest in me was based on like a fantasy or based on mm. like this image of me as like a presenter and not like as a person you know, the same thing with like volunteers and classes, like don't volunteer in someone's class to be part of a demonstration because you want to play with that person or because you think it's, it's going to be a scene because for them, it's really professional and that's really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. All right. So box, <laughs> can we get down from our yeah, box? Yeah. I was just going to say that. I'm so sorry. It's just so important. No, no, it's important. Yeah. I, I talk about it with photo shoots all the time, understanding the difference between having a relationship and a scene and being a demo bottom or a difference between a scene and a photo shoot. It, you know, it's really like some of those things are business and some of those things are play. And when you invite someone who's already in your personal life or your play space into a class, I will be honest, like sometimes there's a little bit of an overlap because like if it's somebody that you already have a relationship with and you play with and you're attracted to, our feelings going to come up? Sure. Uh, but usually those things are there first and not a result of a demo bottoming mm-hmm. relationship. Or agreement, I should say, not even relationship. Yeah. All right. Um, and then the last thing you you already touched on this, I think, as part of programming, you know, but accessibility is super important. So, you know, having folks who can take a look at the venue, have a look at the space, you know, determine is it truly accessible? Where can we make modifications to make it more accessible? And I'm just, you know, there are so many implications there. We're actually doing a whole episode this season on accessibility, but you know, having somebody to coordinate all of that is super important and it's no less important in a virtual class, whether that's somebody who is helping out volunteering to do captions, corrections, like you turn on the closed captioning so that people can read what's being said and who goes in and, you know, corrects anything that is wrong. You know, it's still important whether the classes or the event is in person or virtual to have somebody thinking about accessibility. Absolutely. Right. So hopefully, you know, kind of wrapping things up, We have given people many reasons to get involved, but I really think that the most important thing is that cool events can't happen without a solid group of volunteers. So all of these events that you want to attend and that you have a fun time at, just think about 
how much work really goes into that and how it can't happen without volunteers and maybe think about volunteering yourself. And um, also that if you are really looking for a way to meet people in the community, to become a part of the community, you know, sometimes just attending an event is not going to be enough. You'll have the experience of you go and you see some cool things, but you feel like you're on the sidelines and volunteering for any of these things is really um, a great way to make personal connections within the community, for people to get to know you, for you to be a recognized face. And I, I feel like you get into kind of a a situation where if you volunteer or participate in a lot of events, you know, you start to see more familiar faces each time. And before mm-hmm. you know it, you're fully enmeshed in the community. And there you have it. Right. And then everyone <laughs> knows you and it's really weird. Uh, <laughs> you see the same yeah. faces all the time. It's fun, though. I will say that even doing gen volunteering, which is like usually introducing door dragoning, registration, stuff like that, you... Uh, there's nothing like that kind of bond. There really isn't. You're going through this experience together. You probably go through some hardships or some drama together. And you have a weekend of maybe very little sleep if you're working it a ton, where you are all loopy and having fun and have inside jokes together and are having a great time putting on this community event. And those are friendships that I will never lose and will value for the rest of my life because it really is truly like a family. You know, I talk all the time about how I'm like a sadistic little and I love the contrast and the mind fucking the surprise of it. And now I'm kind of like, now I'm known enough that maybe it's not surprising enough anymore. I'm going to have to like up my game in my private life to surprise (laughs) the people that I'm playing with because just being like super cute and like a dolly outfit and then like super evil is, I don't know. Maybe it's not going to be enough. Maybe I have to up oh, my no. I was going to say, I don't think you're actually that evil. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Those are fighting words. I know they are. Um, yes. <laughs> I see. I see your game. You're trying to bait me. It almost worked. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for all. Thanks for talking to me about how to get more involved in events, really important topic. And I I think that a lot of people want to do it. And they just don't really know what the options are, what they'll be signing up for if they they volunteer for any of these things. So hopefully, you know, we'll have a whole new wave of fresh faced and energetic volunteers. I would love that. And also, just as the last thing, if you don't know how to start, or how to reach out or how to get involved, Honestly, just reaching out to any staff member who seems like they work for the event or like anyone who's posting about the event, they'll get you to the right people. They'll know who the volunteer coordinator is and be able to put you in the right direction. Don't feel shy. Don't be afraid to reach out because we are always happy to see more people who want to volunteer. Yeah. And everybody's new at some point. And generally, these things are like a team situation. So most of the time, you know, you're not going to be completely on your own. And, you know, if you sign up as sort of like a general volunteer and, you know, not for like the head of any kind of committee or whatever, there's going to be a lot of support involved most of the totally. time. So don't be afraid to try it out. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Go volunteer. <laughs> Time for a little one-on-one with me, Sunny Lee Maine. 
All right, to finish out the episode, we're going to do a little bit of naughty story time. It's something we haven't done for a while, so I am going to be sharing with you a story that I wrote. It is called The Mirror Game, and it does have a little tiny bit of trancy language in it, so may not want to listen to it while you are driving, but it's pretty minimal, so hopefully everybody enjoys the story. The Mirror Game The two women stand facing each other, roughly four feet apart. Both sets of pink nipples stand at attention, and both sets of lovely blue eyes are bound in black silk scarves. No light will slip in, and in the darkness, they will need to rely on their other senses tonight. Until I open my mouth to speak, the only sounds in the room are my heels snapping against the hardwood and the soft click of the shutter from the camera in the corner of the room. Tonight we're going to play a very special game, I say aloud, as both the blonde and strawberry braided heads bob in understanding. It's called the Game of Mirrors, I say, allowing my voice to take on a more melodic quality. Yes, sir, two voices ring out in unison. They're both being such good girls tonight. Listen to my voice, I command, and allow everything else to simply drift away. I circle the women slowly, my long, dark curls hanging nearly to my waist, and my eyes bright with green and flecks of amber. As you allow yourselves to sink down, I say, pausing as I watch their heads hang slightly forward. I think that you'll find that I have your complete and undivided attention. Their state of trance doesn't prevent another yes, sir, whispered this time, escaping both sets of full lips. I'm going to give you both a set of commands. When you have completed each command, I think you'll begin to notice that you will freeze in position for inspection. I bet you'll also find that you will remain frozen until I give the next command. In fact, the harder you struggle to move, the more stuck you might find yourselves. This will allow me to make sure that your positions match perfectly. If they do not, that will mean that someone has failed to follow directions and I will be forced to punish you both. I'm answered with just nods of understanding this time as I command them to sink further down. Sink all the way down to your hands and knees, I command, watching both toned bodies sink towards the floor, and both minds become even more entranced. Good girls, I reward them, noting that they are both now in an all-fours position. Perfect mirrors of each other save their differently colored locks. I stand above them, cane in hand. Click, click, the camera sounds again. The game continues and the lovely bodies move in unison like some sort of strange and erotic dance. It's as if they are marionettes on strings and I am the conductor. Stand tall and hinge forward at the waist with arms hanging overhead. Both women drop forward together, not having differed yet despite having taken half a dozen poses. This time, however, only red curls brush the floor with arms overhead as instructed. The arms of the woman's blonde counterpart are outstretched awkwardly to the sides while she bends only halfway forward. I smile. At least your bottoms are already on display, I chirp gleefully. 
I lay my cane very gently on the neck of the blonde, saying, Correct yourself, and guiding her lower to the floor. Her arms drop forward without further correction as she adjusts to meet my whim. She receives the first blows of the cane. Just three this time, since it's the first mistake. The blonde cries out in pain even as the slick increases between her thighs. Of course, this is the game of mirrors, I remind them, and so everything must match exactly. The redhead whimpers as she receives three strikes of her own, unable to move away to mitigate the blows. Unable to move away to mitigate the blows. The dance continues, as do the clicks of the camera. The next time a mistake occurs, the penalty is ten lashes. Both bums redden like roses as welts begin to bloom. In perfect unison, my good girls kneel at my feet like beautifully adorned bookends. Release, I command, bringing them back to full awareness. I beckon towards the bed large enough for several adults to be comfortable on and allow them to form another perfectly balanced position, this time each with her head between the thighs of the other. Do not come without permission, I remind them. Opening my chest in the corner of the room, I select a twin set of plugs and fill both of their tightest openings. Both asses twinkle in the light now, with my initials etched in each of the heart-shaped crystals. I'm tempted to allow them each one release for excellent performance, but I want to own their orgasms completely. On your hands and knees, I command. Both good girls pop to attention side by side. One thick silicone dildo in each hand, I begin to fuck them both in unison, enjoying both their cries and their renewed symmetry. Touch yourselves with your outside hand, I demand, as I pound harder. This time their pleas are successful and I allow them both to come. Together now, my voice rings out. My ears are caressed by soft thank you, sirs, and I inform my good girls that I think I've earned a bit of pleasure myself. I rise up on my knees as I center myself on the bed. Two sets of sinful tongues stroke my body, one against my clit and one from behind. I roll my nipples hard in my own fingers, granting myself just a little bit of pleasurable agony as I fuck both sets of soft lips and allow my head to drop back in my own release. Click, says the camera, as we strike our final pose and the dance comes to an end. The game of mirrors is complete. Thanks as always for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnyleemain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.